Well, thank you again for being with us, um, and I'm excited to, uh, to be with you today. And today is, is Father's Day, and like, I have to acknowledge it, right? Like, we have to celebrate dads, even though we know moms do everything, but, we, but we'll go ahead and celebrate dads. And, and I bet one of the things you're wondering on Father's Day is, what do dads really want? You know what I mean? Like, what, what can you really give them that they want? And you don't have to wonder any longer. I've done the research, all right? And so I, I found these surveys. They're very scientific because I found them on Google. And so I'm going to tell you, these are what dad said. So 41% according to the survey said they just want a steak. They just want something good to eat. 38% they want to watch sports with the family. 35% said they want an ice cold beer. 34% said they want a cheap practical gift like socks or a tie. 30, 30% said they want a glass of wine. 29% said they want a glass of whiskey. That sounds low. 24% <laughs> said they want a more expensive gift like an Apple Watch. But can I tell you, none of those are right. None of those are the answer. And I'm going to tell you the answer. No, dads, you wouldn't say this, so I'll say it for you, and here it is. They just want to watch World War II movies and have you leave them alone. Like, that's it. Just let them watch World War II movies and leave them alone. Let them watch Tom Hanks do his thing, all right? Like, that's all they want to do. Because if you notice in that list, three times alcohol shows up. Why? Because you won't let them watch World War II movies and leave them alone. So just let them watch it. Anyway, happy Father's Day. That's for you guys. Uh, also, uh, I haven't been here in a while. And uh, so for the last, but the good news is, so for the last couple of years, not much has changed, right? You know what I mean? Like our world has been steady. And so like, no, a lot has changed. And one of the things that has changed is the way that we work. And so in the past, maybe you would go and have in-person meetings with people. And that's awesome. You don't do that anymore. Now we have Zoom meetings. Anybody do Zoom meetings? If you don't do Zoom meetings, let me explain Zoom to you. It's like, if the devil installed an app on your computer, it would be Zoom. And so here's what that is. Like instead of meeting in person, you meet on camera, which doesn't make sense that it sucks because it should be fantastic. Because think about it. You can, you can have a meeting from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to wear pants. Like it's all the things that make meetings like better, right? And it should be fantastic, but it's not. And one of the reasons it's not is because on a Zoom call, where are you looking the entire time? Not where you're supposed to be looking. You're supposed to be looking at the person who's talking. But where are you looking? You narcissist, you know where you're looking. You're looking at yourself the whole time. The whole time you're looking at yourself. And we're not meant to do that. I'm an identical twin, and so I've been looking at myself for a lot of years, so I'm used to it. But you are not used to it. And so there, there's something that's developed called Zoom dysmorphia. And what that means is people are looking at themselves all day long, and they're going, do I really look like that? Like, is my nose that big? Are my eyes that far apart? Does my hair really look like that? And so what we need is, is we need something to help us out. And so Zoom did. Zoom developed a beauty filter. If you go in the settings, there's a checkbox that says, touch up my appearance. And it will actually do it. Don't do it now. Put your phone away. But anyway, like, people, like, you can do that. You can absolutely do that. And what are we doing when we put a filter on? We're, we're hiding I see something I don't like about me, and if I don't like it, then I bet you don't like it. And if you don't like it, then you might not like me. And so we hide, but, but we hide on, on things way more important than just like Zoom work calls. We hide in our lives. We hide especially when we fail, especially when we don't meet our own expectations or someone else's, especially when we mess up, especially when we sin, because we look at ourselves and we say, something is wrong here. I don't like it, and if I don't like it, then you don't like it. And if you don't like it and I don't like it, then God doesn't like it. And so we start to hide. We hide from ourselves. And how do we do that? We distract ourselves. So I don't want to think about my failures. And then I hide from you. I put on a mask and I act like everything's okay when I come in here in church. Everything's great. Hashtag blessed, right? But it's not. And then we hide from God by pushing away from him, keeping our distance. 
but we don't have to live like that. In fact, we're not called to live like that. And we can walk in a freedom like we've never walked in before. And that's what John's gonna show us. So I want us to go to, to 1 John chapter 2, verse one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So real quick, he uses this language. This is the first time he's gonna talk like this, but it will not be the last. He calls his readers dear children. And that matters because it, 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 it also, not only does it tell you how he feels about who he's talking to, but it also like, gives you an understanding of what his words are gonna mean. Why is he saying the things he's saying? Because it matters what we call each other. My, my oldest son, uh, his name is Max, and he is 11 years old, about to be 12, going into middle school, and he sent me a text, my wife a text this week, separate text, but they said about the same thing, and here's what it said. He said, I was gonna do this on my birthday, but I think now is the time, and there's literally his words. In all seriousness, I'm no longer gonna call you daddy, I'm gonna call you dad. Now, he sent the same message to my wife. She received it just as well as you think she did. And, but she's a loving mother, and so she responded in a loving way. And she said, oh, I support you, and I love you. I'm so proud that you're growing up and whatever. I went a different way. And so I responded with, in all seriousness, if you do this, I will call you Maxi Baby from now on. <laughs> on the microphone, on the internet, I will, I will call you that forever. Two can play at this game, buddy, right? But what we call each other matters. Again, not only does it matter because it shows how we care about one another, but also it, it also is a lens through which we see our own words. So he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And so he's saying, if you find yourself in a place where you sin, I want to bring you comfort, which is really good because I find myself in that place all the time. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That word advocate, what that means is that he is on our side. He is for us. And so here's what this means, that at our lowest moments, Jesus stands for us. At our lowest moments, when no one else stands for us, when we wouldn't even stand for ourselves, Jesus stands for us. That is, his, that is his response every single time. When you are in that moment of failure, when you're in that moment of desperation, when you're in that dark place, Jesus stands for you. Jesus advocates for you. Jesus is on your side. He is for you. And Pastor Clint was here last week, and one of the things he talked about was 1 John 1, 9, which says what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What is that saying? It says that if we are honest, with our failures, if we bring him our lowest moments and we bring him the worst moments, his response every time is the same, faithfulness. Every time he'll stand for you because there is no qualification here for sin. He doesn't say, if anybody does this specific sin, then Jesus will be on your side. No, 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 there is no qualification. When we find ourselves in our lowest moments, whether it's our fault or whether it's a consequence of a situation we're in or, or something outside of our control, when we find ourselves in that place, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who stands for us. He is absolutely for us. And that is a comforting thought. And it should be a comforting thought. But sometimes that's really hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to wrap my head around it. And here's why. Because if I'm honest, it's hard for me to believe that Jesus would always stand for me in my lowest moments because I don't always stand for others in theirs. That's not my natural reaction. So if you guys have uh, social media, maybe anybody in here on TikTok, I'm on TikTok, I'm cool, I'm hip, I know what the kids are into, rap music. And so anyway, I, um, I'm on TikTok, and one, there are whole videos on TikTok, whole profiles and accounts that are set up for this purpose, to show people at their lowest point. 
And so like there will be videos where someone has captured someone in their lowest moment. Somebody who is, is overwhelmed by something and they're, they're lashing out and their words are hateful and their actions are thoughtless and, and, and they will, they're saying terrible things or they're doing terrible things. And they won't just post those videos, they will find out their real names, where they work, uh, they'll find out where they live and, and all these other things and then they will post that. And what they hope happens is that you and I will watch these videos, we will get just as outraged and we will reach out to their employer and try to get them fired or we will re- leave a Google review on their business to try to lose their, their income in some way because we want justice done, if that's justice. We want something done about this thing that's happened. And I gotta be honest, my response when I see those videos is not to go, well, Maybe this was their lowest moment. Maybe this was the darkest day of their life as well, right? Like my, my, my response is not to give them understanding or kindness. My response is like, you know what I mean? That's my response. Like, yeah, go get them. Like we gotta, we gotta take them out. They never should have said those things. So it's hard for me to believe that God's natural response to my lowest moments is to stand for me when that's not my natural response for others. Because also, like, if we flip it around, if I'm honest, if TikTok somehow had videos of me at my lowest moment, I don't know if I believe that anyone would stand for me either. Like, if, if TikTok was somehow able to get their hands on a video of me at my lowest moment of selfishness, I don't know if anyone would stand for me. If TikTok could get a video of me being overwhelmed and angry and just hatefulness coming out of me, I don't know if anyone would stand for me. If they could somehow get a video showing how I hurt the people closest to me because my word, I'm careless with my words sometimes and I'm careless with my actions sometimes, I don't know if anyone would stand for me. But do you know what this verse is telling us? It's telling us us that, yeah, that's what we would do, but God's not us. He's different. That is not him. His love is not our love. And so at our lowest, Jesus stands for us. That is the Father's love. It's so much bigger than our love. It's so much bigger than anything we could ever imagine or process even. I was trying to help my kids understand this type of love. So I told you we've been to, we've been here at Grace now for five years. And this entire time, that means my kids have been in Grace Kids this whole time and they've been learning a lot. And so sometimes when we're coming home, I'll say, hey, what did you learn? And and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about what they learned in Grace Kids. Now, not every time. I don't want to give you like an unrealistic expectation. Most Sundays, I'm like, hey, what did you learn? And they're like, I got, a, I got candy. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you were here today. And so like, it's not always gangbusters. But a lot of times, we will have a conversation. I'll say, hey, what did you learn? And so my middle son said, we, we learned about love. And I said, well, that's great. What did you learn about love? And he kind of laughed. He kind of like scoffed. And he went, well, we, it's always we had to love our enemies. And I was like, yeah, you do. And he goes, What? And he goes, they're so mean to me. And I was like, I know, I know. But here's the thing. Like God's love is so big that it doesn't just include you. It swallows everything up, swallows everything up. So the people who would move against you and the people who would, who would be mean to you, it swallows them up too. And, and here's the good news about that. It's not only does it cover them, but if his love is that big, that means that you will never find the limits of his love for you, ever. You will constantly be discovering new depths of his love for you. Like it'll never run out. I said, son, it's a lot like how I love you. Like I'll never stop loving you. God's love is like that, but even bigger. Do you ever talk to your kids and like you tell them something and then you can see the wheels turning in their head? So I said that thing where I'll never stop loving you. I could tell like in that moment, he wanted to test that. You know what I mean? Like, is that real? Which is funny that he would test it through questions because he tests it like every day. But, uh, but anyway, like he, so he decides to ask questions. He said, okay, okay, what if I made fun of you? Would you still love me? 
And I was like, son, look at me. I've been made fun of my whole life. Like, there's no new material, and you're not smart enough to come up with something else, all right? Like, no problem. Take your best shot, right? And he said, well, what if I made fun of Didi? Now, Didi is, what, is my mom. That's what they call my mom. I was like, you want to bring moms into this? All right. You make fun of my mama? All right. And I said, here's what's going to happen. Didi's going to kill you, but I will still love you, all right? I'll mourn you, and I'll love you, right? And in that moment, then he got, like, real serious, and, like, he, he finally thought, he's trying to think of the worst thing he could think of. He said, Dad, what if I killed somebody? What if I did that? Would you love me? I said, son, listen, you can break my heart. That is true. But you cannot stop me from loving you. You'll never be able to do that. And that's the father's love for us. Can we break his heart by the choices we make? Yes. And you know one of the amazing things about how we break his heart? The reason we break his heart is because he wants more for us than we want for ourselves. He's more upset that we don't live to our own potential than we are. Like, he, he's that good to us. He loves us that much and wants that much for us that that's what breaks his heart. So can we break his heart? We absolutely can. But you cannot stop him from standing for you. You will never be able to. Because when we are faithless, he is faithful. If we go to Genesis and we go to Adam and Eve, we get to see them at their lowest point. Forget TikTok, it's in the Bible. They are at their lowest point and they are hiding from God. They're hiding from God in this moment. Who stands for them at their lowest moment? God does. The father steps in and he immediately provides for them. He moves against their enemy and he says, I will secure your future and I will do it for you. Not you, I'll do it for you. It'll be by my sacrifice, right? That's what he does. He is faithful when we are faithless. I wanna show you a verse from everyone's favorite book in the Bible, Lamentations. Lamentations chapter three, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you're asking yourself, will God stand for me today? Will Jesus stand for me today? Because I have found myself in a difficult place. Like, like I'm in a difficult place in my marriage. I'm in a difficult place in my relationship with my kids. I'm in a difficult place with money or I'm in a difficult place with, with substance abuse and, and I'm finding myself in a really dark place. Will Jesus stand for me today? Well, let me ask you, did the sun come up? Because if the sun came up today, then yes, Yes, every single morning, there's new mercies he wants to pour out on you. It's incredible. We have an advocate with the Father. We have someone who is always on our side. There's no more hiding for us. Why would we hide from a love like that? Why would you hide from that? Why would you hide from that advocate? Again, when we're honest and we're open and we step out of hiding, we don't find an adversary coming against us. We don't even find a judge What we find is an advocate, Jesus standing for us and being more for us than we are for ourselves. There's no reason to hide from a love like that. But it keeps going. John says, not only do we have an advocate, but look at what he says in verse two. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what's an atoning sacrifice? Well, 
So when we sinned, it separated us from God, and the penalty of our sin had to be paid before we could be in relationship with God again. And God looked at that, and he goes, well, the penalty of sin is death. They've sinned against a holy God. I don't want them to pay that penalty. I don't want them to pay that penalty of death because I want relationship with them. I don't want to be separated from them. So he goes to his people, and he says, you will start providing sacrifices for me, and you'll bring these animals, and their blood will atone, or their blood will cover these sins, and you and I can remain in relationship together. And so they start doing it. But here's the problem. They had to keep doing it. They had to bring more sacrifices and more sacrifices and more. I would think if that were me in that situation, I just brought a sacrifice. I don't know if I'd make it home before I'd be like, I should probably bring some more sacrifices, right? And so they had to bring more and more and more. But that is not us. That is not where we are anymore. God doesn't need these these sacrifices for us anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for us. He is it. Hebrews chapter seven says that his sacrifice, that he died for us once and for all. His sacrifice covers us once and for all. There is no more sacrifice needed. So here's what this means. That at our lowest point, not only does he stand for you, but he doesn't need anything from you. You're enough because he's enough. He doesn't need you to do better, to be better, to try harder or do more. Why? Because he is enough and and he wants you just like you are. And I think sometimes we hit these low points and we hide because we go, I'm not lovable right now. There's no way that God would want me like this. Like I know better. I know how to do better. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide out. I'm going to keep my distance until I can figure this thing out, until I can fix my marriage, until I can be less selfish, until I can deal with my anger. When I get all of this figured out, then, okay, God, then I'm coming back. Then we can have relationship. Do you know what we're doing when we do that? We're looking for better sacrifices. We're doing the same thing. We're going back and we're grabbing new sacrifices. We're going, I'm going to make up for what I've done. I'm going to bring this to you and you're going to be so happy with me. But the scripture says there are no better sacrifices. Jesus is it. You and I are covered. That is it. And so what does he want? What does he want? Well, I'll tell you, and Jesus tells this story and it's the prodigal son. He tells the story, this, 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 child who leaves home, right? This son leaves home. And and as he leaves home, he turns his back on his father and he decides to return home. And when he returns home, what does he bring with him? Nothing. What he brings with him is need. He brings with him all the consequences of his decisions. He doesn't bring back any wealth. He doesn't bring back any, any blessings. Instead, he comes back covered in the filth of his own mistakes and his own, and his own decisions. And that's all he has. And what is the father's response? He falls on his son and he kisses him and he blesses him and he gives him good gifts. Why? Because the father didn't need anything from the son. The father just wanted the son. His love was enough for him. So what I'm saying is that because Jesus is enough for us, that when we are in our lowest moments, not only does he stand for you, but he wants you. He wants you in those moments. He wants you. The whole point of the prodigal son, the whole point of that message, and the whole point here of this verse is that Jesus wants you to come home. That's it. He wants you to come home. What if the prodigal son had acted like we acted? What if he had hid and he said, okay, I can't go back to the father like this, not like this, not with my robes like this, not covered in this field, not with, with no money. I can't do that. So, so I'm gonna clean up my act. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna be better. And when I get to a certain level, then I'll come home. One, would he ever come home? Probably not. But two, if he did come home like that, would the father be more pleased? 
that his son came home marginally better than when he left? Would he be more pleased with that? No. What's, what is bringing joy to his heart? What is making him overwhelmed, like just, just be overwhelmed with love? And, and what, what, what just drives him to run after his son? What? Is it because of what his son has done? Is it because of what his son has brought? No, it's because his son's home. That's all he wants. And the same is true for you. And the same is true for me. As some of us out there, I know the game. I get it. I get that we're trying to clean ourselves up. We're going to be better. We're going to do better, right? And so we're going to clean ourselves up before we come home. We know better. We can do better. God, I know I can, I can figure all this out. And what he's looking at is he's saying, I don't need any of that. I don't need you to do any of that. I don't need any of those sacrifices. I've given the sacrifice for you. Just come home. Just come home. That's all I want. I want my daughter back. I want my son back. Just come home. I don't need anything from you because his love is enough for you. You are always enough for him. And some of you this morning need to hear that. There's no reason to hide anymore. Come home. He wants you. And here's the incredible thing about this is that this message is not just for us. Look at what verse two says. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. There are people in our lives and in our families and in our workplaces and in our spheres of influence who are hiding themselves. Who know? Who know there's something there that doesn't measure up? Who knows there's something there that's not enough and they're hiding? And the answer to them, the answer that will bring them out of hiding is the same answer for us as well, that Jesus is enough for them too. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we safe people for others to stop hiding and still be loved? Are we the type of people that they can come to us and they can come to us just like the son came to the father. They can come to us with nothing but need. And what they're gonna find from us is not judgment. What they're gonna find from us is not us telling them how to clean up their lives. But what they're gonna find from us is just love. It's just grace. It's just mercy. It's just us pointing them back to Jesus. Are we those safe people? I was thinking, you know, when you look in the Gospels, they talk about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. We see that he has all these interactions with prostitutes and, and, and sinners may have just been a really uh, clever way to say prostitute. It's like a, like a more acceptable way. And so, so I was starting to think when, when you see people accusing him of being with the wrong people, how did they know? How did they know that they were prostitutes? How did they know that? Was there a name tag? Like, how did, how did they know that? And then I got to thinking, it's because the prostitutes didn't have church clothes. And here's what I mean by that. I grew up in church. Anybody else, you grew up in church, or you get a little church kid? Do you have church clothes? Do you guys have church clothes? Oh, you remember church clothes, right? So church clothes, you only wear them to church. You don't eat in them. You don't lay down in them and take a nap. Like you, when you get home, you hang them up. They're church clothes. So I had these, uh, I had these like little like suede um, like loafers. They're called bucks. Did anybody have those when they were kids? Am I the only one? All right, I feel really alone. Uh, so anyway, so maybe it's a Southern thing. I don't know. So we had these bucks and they were like completely slick on the bottom, which is always a good thing to give kids. And so then I had, um, I had like pleated khakis. So, and uh, I had a clip on tie, only the best for the Lord. And I had a blue blazer and that was church clothes, right? And so we had these, like we had this church clothes, this church outfit and the same thing. It was like, you wear this on Sunday, you don't wear it anywhere else. And when you get home, you hang it up. Like, don't let me catch you playing in it. Don't let me catch you smiling in it. Like you better, you better hang it up, right? Because it's for the Lord. I remember asking my dad, I was like, dad, why do we wear these? Like, what is this about? And you know what his answer was? Because when we, we go to church, we bring our best to the Lord. And I went, this is our best. 
Dad, this is from Sears. You know what I mean? Like, you bought a dishwasher and the best for the Lord at the same place. You know what I mean? Like, Kmart was closed. You went to Sears. Like, oh, it'll be good enough for the Lord. Like, this is it? But, but you know, the, the, the unintended consequence of the church closed. No one ever said this to me. They didn't have to, but I figured it out. The unintended consequence for me was that it taught me that if I'm going to come to God, I better clean it all up. I don't want to embarrass myself, and I don't want to embarrass him by bringing him all of my mess. So I better get it all together, right? When you look at the Gospels, nobody that Jesus is spending time with has church clothes on. Nobody. They are as they are. How did they know prostitutes were there? Because they were dressed like prostitutes. How did they know tax collectors were there? Because they were dressed like tax collectors. How did they know sinners were there? Because they were dressed like sinners. They talked like sinners. They acted like sinners because that's who they were. And what did they find in Jesus? They found his love. Why? Because his love was enough for them, just like it's enough for you. It was enough for them. And so I want to ask, are we those people, just like Jesus, are we safe places for people like that? Are we safe places for people to come and bring their questions and their anger and their confusion and their brokenness and their past? Are we those places where they can come and bring those and what they're going to find is love? That's what they're going to find. They're gonna find grace and they're gonna find mercy. They're not gonna find people telling them how they need to clean it up. They're not gonna find people telling them how they need to get it all together, but instead they're gonna find people saying, hey, you are loved and there's mercy for you and there's forgiveness for you and here's Jesus because I hope we're those types of people because they're not gonna find him if they're hiding, right? And so may we be the types of places where they can come out with just their needs. They can come out with no church clothes on. They can come out with their needs on and that's it. And they can bring it out into the open and we can say, there is love for you. There's a savior for you. There's somebody who is more than enough for you, who stands for you, who's on your side. Will we be those types of people? Because one of the things I love about the gospels is every time you see someone do that for Jesus, every time you see someone come face to face with Jesus, there's no church clothes. They are completely exposed. It's just them with their need. When they're like that with Jesus, he always meets that faithfulness and that honesty with love every time. One of my favorite examples is in Mark chapter nine, there's a father whose, whose child is tormented by an unclean spirit, it says. So he comes to Jesus and he, in desperation, he says, if you can do anything, help my boy. And Jesus goes, if, all things are possible for those who believe. And you know what he says? He says, I do believe, and then check this out, help my unbelief. He's honest. He says, Jesus, I had enough faith to get here and to say these words to you, but I don't have enough faith to go beyond that. Like, like there's something missing there. There's part of me that does not trust you. There's part of me that does not trust that you're gonna do what's best for me. And I need help there. That's just where I am. This is where I am. And you're my only hope. And what did Jesus do in that moment? He didn't reject him and say, no, 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 you need to bring a better sacrifice. No, Jesus was the best sacrifice for him. Jesus didn't need anything from him. And so his response to that honesty was love. And the response to the honesty was he helped him. He performed a miracle for him. There's another moment where the, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they're going, you're hanging out with the wrong people. Why are you hanging out with all these sinners? Why are you hanging out with all these people with no church clothes? What, what are you doing? And Jesus' response was, the sick, like they don't, the, the healthy don't need a doctor. I, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the healthy. And so like, of course they're sick. 
Of course they have needs. That's why I'm here, right? Like that's who we are. And so why would we hide that? Why would we pretend like there's nothing wrong with it? Would you ever do that? Would you ever go to a real doctor and do that? Would you ever go into a doctor's office and pretend like you're not sick? That's the whole point of being there, right? You're gonna walk in and be like, do you have a fever? And like, no, I'm fine. And they're like, you're sweating. No, my hair's crying. It's not the same thing. Like, like would you, why would you do that? You're there. Because here's the thing, there's no reason for anyone to hide because what's gonna bring us life and what's gonna bring them life is not getting it right, it's getting Jesus. And so are we gonna be safe people for others to be at their worst? Are we gonna be the people who are gonna meet people in their lowest moments and respond in love and point them to love? Because that's the love we've been called to. Like, that's what we've been called to. Like, look at, look at verse seven in chapter two. We're gonna read seven through 10 real quick. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So let's look at the new command. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is, no, there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So what is this new command of love? Well, I think what he's referring to is Jesus' own words in his gospel in John. If you go to John 13, uh, verse 34, this is what Jesus says. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And you go, oh, I've got that. I've heard that. I've been in church like way more than twice, so I've got that, right? Like I know, so it's a love like Jesus loves. No, 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 the context is important. Don't skip the context. Do you know what he did right before this? He washed the disciples' feet. So, so think about that. Like check that out for a second. So he washed the disciples' feet, the same feet who had abandoned him that night, who'd run away from him when he needed them the most. He washed Peter's feet, who that same night would go out and would deny him three times. He washed Judas's feet, who that same night would go out and betray him and cost him his life. And Jesus says, what I just did, that's what you do for everyone else. That's how you love. And so hang on a second. Are you, are you telling me that I need to love those who will betray me? Yes hang on, you're telling me I need to serve and love those who won't stand for me. Yes. Hang on, I, hang, on hang on a second. I need to love those who will only ever be at their worst around me. Yeah, you absolutely do. And you go, how in the world am I supposed to love like this? It goes back to trust. It goes back to what we've been talking about this whole time. It goes back to what, what John has been encouraging us with. Like if we trust that Jesus stands for us, even when no one else will, then we can stand for others. If we trust that we are wanted when no one else wants us, then we can want the unwanted too. It's trusting that. And these truths, by the way, they're not checkbox truths where you go, oh, yep, got it. Okay, Jesus is for me. Uh, he's enough for me, so I'm enough for him. Like, check, got it. No, these are things we need to remind ourselves of day by day and hour by hour. Like, when I think of the Garden of Eden, I don't think that's just a story of origin. I think that's a story of every day of our lives because every day of our life, I live that storyline, and you do too. Every day of our lives, we wake up, and God says, I wanna walk with you. And I go, I'm in. And then at some point in that day, I go, actually, I know what's best. I know what's good and bad, I'm good. And I break it, right, just like you do. And in that moment, at some point in the day, God steps in and he says, I'm still gonna provide for you. I'm still gonna move against those who move against you and I'm gonna secure your future. And, and here's the kicker, I don't need you to do anything for that. 
I'll do it. I'll do it all because that's my love for you. And so I, where we are today, I, I guess to, to close, I, I wanna ask, like, do, you, do you believe those things today? Maybe you have in the past. Maybe you did yesterday, but today's a different day. Maybe, maybe like, like what happens to me so often, you, you go to bed at night and you had a great day and then all of the regrets pop up for some reason. I think they're stored in your feet. So when you lay down, it gets to your head somehow. But all those things start going through your head and, and this morning you're struggling to believe that. You're struggling to believe that Jesus would stand for you. I know he stands for other people at their lowest moments, but their moments can't be as low as mine. Or maybe it's just a season that you're in. And you go, you know what? It's my decisions that did this to my marriage. It's my decisions that did this to my relationship with my kids. It's my decisions that led me to this place. There's no way he wants me like this. There's no way that I'm enough for him like this. They're absolutely not. The truth is, he not only stands for you, he wants you. He wants you. No one makes him stand for you. He wants you. So maybe you need that today. Maybe this morning, when we talk about the prodigal, you've been hiding. And you need to hear, just come home. There is no better sacrifice. You go, I gotta fix it. He will help you. Just come home. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for your love for us. Father, would you fill our hearts with truth? Fill our hearts with that truth. That God, you are standing for us right now. You are so much more for us than we could imagine. Would you fill our hearts with truth to know that we are enough because you're enough, to know that we are wanted by you, even in our lowest. You don't need anything from us. You don't require anything from us. You just want us. You just want us to come home. So God, give us the courage to take that step. Again, Father, fill our hearts with the truth this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.